Once again, we say a word of greeting this morning to those watching on television, online, and certainly those of you here in the sanctuary today. We are truly grateful for your presence. You will notice on the back of your order of worship a bio, a history of Dr. McGrath, and a lot of relevant information. I'm not going to read that to you. The introduction today is going to be a little bit different from what I anticipated because I need to tell you something. I had an experience shortly after I picked up Dr. McGrath at the airport on Thursday evening that may have been the most mortifying, embarrassing moment of my life. <laughs> so I picked him up at the airport and I was taking him to the Capitol Hotel. It was about 11 o'clock in the evening. Not much happening downtown on a Thursday evening at that time. But I kind of got twisted a little bit in my directions getting to the Capitol Hotel and ended up going down the street and having to make a U-turn to be able to pull in front of the hotel. The Marriott is right across the street. I pulled into that little area where you can pull into the Marriott to make a turn to pull right in front of the Capitol Hotel. I may have been going three miles an hour. So when I pulled in front of the Capitol Hotel, I immediately got out of my car to raise the lid to give him his luggage when all of a sudden this large Little Rock Police Department vehicle with its lights on and front headlights beaming very brightly pulled me over. I was already there. I said, this cannot be happening, dear God in heaven. I step out of the vehicle. I was already out of the vehicle. They asked me to step out of it. For some reason, I was already out of it. And let me just say, they couldn't have not been any more professional or polite. I appreciate very much the Little Rock Police Department. They asked Dr. McGrath to step over to the side. I said, could he please just go on into the hotel? He wasn't driving. I wasn't. They said, no, he has to stand right there. And I, he said, do you know what you did wrong? And I said, I don't have any idea. He said, you ran a stop sign. I said, a stop sign? Where is a stop sign? I just made a little U-turn. And he said, right there. And I, the lights were blaring. And I said, I don't see a stop sign. I'm sorry. I said, y'all, please just let him go on into the hotel. I was the one driving. Here's my license and registration and insurance and all of that. No, he has to remain there. So one of the police officers came up and said, now, I've seen you before. So... <laughs> I said, yes, I'm at Pulaski Heights, and this is Dr. McGrath. I just picked him up at the airport. He has been driving. Uh, he's been flying in from England. Please just let him go in. No, he can't go in. <laughs> so they did what they did to make sure I wasn't a mass murderer and then brought my information back and said, you are welcome uh, to go on about your business. We're just gonna give you a verbal warning, but please know there are people all over the place and if you run a stop sign and I wanted to go, people are, where are the people? But I did not do that. I was absolutely mortified. I was embarrassed. Dr. McGrath went on in. I got home, I told Susan, I cannot tell you what just happened to me. I stayed up all night long, I am not kidding you. I absolutely was mortified. Here is one of my heroes in life, and this is how it starts. <laughs> but fortunately for me, the next morning, when I went to pick up Dr. McGrath, stopping at length for a long period of time at the stop sign right before the Capitol Hotel, I said, Dr. McGrath, I am so ashamed, I'm so embarrassed, I am mortified, I am so sorry this is how all of this started. And he said, John, this is between us. I didn't see the stop sign either. You don't worry about it. 
And I thought, that is grace personified. He has been the most delightful person to be with. He has been so humble, so willing to learn. He had biscuits and gravy. He didn't even know what that was and all kinds of opportunities to be in his presence. And it has been such a delight. What started out so wrong has become so right. So I introduce to you, Dr. Alistair McGrath. Well, let me begin by saying what a pleasure it is to be here. If someone had told me when I was 16 years old that I'd be preaching at this wonderful church in this great state of Arkansas, I wouldn't have believed it. And one of the reasons would be that actually when I was 16 years old, I was an atheist. In fact, rather an aggressive atheist. And just I would, could see no point in Christianity. I could see no point in being a religious person. And so in many ways, it would just be incomprehensible to me to be here this morning. And I'm so pleased to be here. And as you have guessed, one of the things I want to talk about is how I made this transition from being a rather aggressive teenage atheist to now being a Christian who really has discovered in Christianity something deep, significant, and really worthwhile. So I'm going to talk to you a bit about my own journey of faith. And obviously my own journey of faith isn't normative, isn't typical, but there may be points here that you may find helpful. And so I'm going to tell you that I began as a scientist. I began by loving um, the natural sciences. I used to look at the night sky and be overwhelmed by its beauty and its mystery. And I thought, I want to know more about that. I want to try and discover what this is all about. And so I decided I was going to become a scientist. And then I was told by some of my friends, and I remember this is back in the 1960s, a very long time ago, that look, science and religion are at war with each other. You cannot be a scientist and have a religious belief. And I actually bought into that. I was a rather impressionable teenager, and I know I should have asked some hard questions, but I didn't. And really, I just felt this is the way things are. Therefore, if I am a scientist, religion is just not something I can take seriously. And there was more to it than that, because in the late 1960s in Northern Ireland, where I was growing up, there were kind of a lot of religious tensions. And it seemed obvious to me, if there was no religion, there'd be no religious tensions. Now, I know it sounds very simplistic, but hey, I was 16 back then. And it just seemed, again, obvious to me, atheism is the right way ahead. That, in effect, Christianity was just a kind of outdated moral code. And it really seemed to me that things were very, very simple. And that, I think, in many ways, helps us understand why I did become an atheist. It seemed to me to be obviously right. It made sense of my love of science. And in effect, it disconnected me from this irrelevant idea, as I then saw it, um, that uh, religion had to be taken seriously. So at the age of 16, I thought I'd sorted out all the great questions of life. But the fact I'm preaching to you this morning, I think, suggests that that was not the end of the story because things moved on. And in the end, I won a place at Oxford University to study chemistry and went up to Oxford. But I went up with questions and they were questions about whether atheism is really quite as straightforward as I had thought. I was beginning to become an atheist with doubts. 
I know that sounds a bit paradoxical, but it's true. And let me tell you what those doubts were, because this may be useful. The first thing I began to realize was that actually atheism seemed to be a faith. You know, I believed there was no God, but I couldn't prove there was no God. So, in, in effect, where did that leave me? It le left me not being certain that there was no God, but rather just saying this is the way I think things are. It wasn't as if it was obviously true, even though many of my friends thought it was right. But deep down, I knew atheism was something that I asserted but couldn't prove. And that, I think, is a really important point. And the second point follows on from that. One of the reasons I'd rejected religion was I'd come across Sigmund Freud, and Sigmund Freud said, well, look, religion is a kind of wish fulfillment. It's a kind of thing that people who are unable to cope with the complexity of life or who can't cope with difficulties, they invent God because it gives them a crutch, it gives them a way of keeping going in life. And I found that to be really quite compelling. Again, the evidence for it is a little bit vague and a little bit weak, but at the time, it made sense to me. But then I began to ask awkward questions. And here's the awkward question. What if my teenage atheism was actually a wish fulfillment as well? In other words, what if I wanted atheism to be right? Because then, then I could do what I liked. Then I was master. There was no one I was going to be accountable to. And began, I began to realize that maybe I had kind of bought into atheism because it, it kind of chimed in with the way I would like things to be. And some of you may have read the writings of the philosopher called Thomas Nagel, a well-known atheist. And he makes it very, very clear in one of his books, look, I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. I want to be able to do what I like. And so therefore I developed arguments which justified my atheism. In other words, the desire that there should be no God came first. And then came the arguments showing that that was right. So I was in Oxford thinking these things through and beginning to rethink things in a big way. I went up to Oxford with these doubts about atheism and one of the key points was I began to talk to academics and students and began to realize that things were not that straightforward. First of all, many of my fellow students who were doing the natural sciences were extremely articulate Christians. They were able to say, in effect, here is the way we see the relation of science and faith, and it's got nothing to do with this, this warfare idea you seem to have come up with. If anything, for us, science is about understanding how our universe works, but our religious faith is about giving us meaning and significance. If you like, uh, science is about understanding how the universe functions, but our Christian faith helps us to understand what the universe means, what we mean. In other words, these are not things that are pointing in different directions and are going to go their separate ways. They illuminate different aspects of life, and we need to hold these things together. And I began to realize then that faith and science could enrich 
each other. If you like, uh, science takes things to bits so we can understand how they work, but Christianity puts them back together again so we can see what they mean. And so I had many conversations like this. And as you can imagine, I was going through a turmoil. You know, what I had thought to be secure, trustworthy, turned out to be rather questionable, rather unreliable. And to cut a very long story short, I began to realize that Christianity made much more sense of the world than my earlier atheism. And I embraced it excitedly and waited to see how things would work out as I stepped into this new way of thinking and seeing the world. And that was very exciting. And I think one of the things I want to say very, very clearly is it wasn't just that Christianity was intellectually interesting. It was that it was transformative. It gave me a new way of understanding the world, myself. It, in effect, brought hope. It brought meaning. It brought significance. And these are really important ideas, and I'll talk more about them later in this sermon. But I was still asking questions. Why, for example, do Christians believe in this rather strange idea called the Trinity, which seemed to me to be very bad mathematics? Um, and um, my, my friends uh, put up my questions very graciously, but I think they were, they were beginning to get a bit tired of this. And after a while, one of them said, for heaven's sake, why don't you read C.S. Lewis? Now, I came from Northern Ireland, and I had heard of C.S. Lewis, uh, and I knew that he'd written a book about uh, a lion, um, uh, but that was about as far as it went. So I, I did what my friend suggested, and I went and bought a book from the local bookstore uh, by C.S. Lewis. It was called They Asked for a Paper. It was a collection of essays, and as I read these, it was as if scales began to fall from my eyes. It was as if someone turned a light on inside my head, and I suddenly began to appreciate at a much deeper level what Christianity was all about, why it made so much sense of things, and the difference it could make for me. And the quotation I keep going back to in one of those essays is this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not just because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And it's a wonderful image. It's in effect saying Christianity lights up the world so you can see what it's all about. It in effect allows you to bring things into focus so you can see what they really mean. And I found this very, very exciting. I began to appreciate the intellectual depth of faith, and I began to really appreciate even more how much difference this made to my life. So you can see here I'm beginning to, beginning to expand my vision of faith. I discovered Christianity, but I began to realize that now what I needed to do was explore my faith, begin to go deeper, begin to, in effect, understand it at a much deeper level, and also the difference that it would bring to my life. So this was very important for me because, in effect, it was all about stepping into this new way of thinking and beginning to explore it. 
And I want to now try and explain to you the difference that this made to me, what I found there and why it was back then and remains with me to this day something of such immense significance. And what I want to do, if I may, is just pick up on a verse from John's Gospel. I'm sure you all know very, very well where Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I just want to use each of those words, the kind of focus point for the points I want to explore with you. First of all, Christ is the way. Christianity, in effect, is giving us an understanding of how we should live. But Christ doesn't say, look, the, the way is over there. Go and find it and go on with it. It's much deeper and richer than that. It's about Christ being the one who journeys with us through life. He is there all the time when we need them. I very often find myself going back to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And that reminds us that as we journey through life, our God journeys with us. He's there in the good times. He's there in the bad times. When we walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, which we all do from time to time. In other words, God is a living, real presence who's there to comfort us, to console us, to encourage us, to enrich us as we walk through life. The good times and, of course, the bad times as well. And that, I think, is very important. It's all about re being reassured we aren't on our own in this life, that we journey in the presence of a loving and living God, and also, of course, in the presence of other believers who will help us as we wrestle with things and support us as we travel. That's this idea of the way. What about the truth? When I was an atheist, I thought truth was very, very straightforward. It's things like, for example, two and two make four. That's absolutely true. You can rely on that. Or indeed, here's a, a fact that shows I'm very British. Um, Queen Victoria died in 1901. Now, some of you will be saying, well, look, um, I mean, you're a visiting preacher. We're going to give you the benefit of the doubt here. But actually, that is extremely dull and uninteresting. I mean, I mean, Queen Victoria died in 1901. But so what? What difference does that make to anyone? And it's a really good question. Because, you see, you can prove shallow truths about life like two and two make four, and you can think of many others as well. But the really deep truths that help us to understand who we really are, what we really need, what life is all about, the beliefs that give us hope, that animate us, that give us direction and make us want to get up in the morning, those are not things like two and two make four. It is that there is meaning in life, that someone loves me and cares for me, and I can keep going knowing I'm walking with them and in their strength and presence. And that goes way beyond reason. And when Christ talks about offering us the truth, we're really talking about something that's deep, that's significant, that in effect is not simply a little truth about the way the world is, but a much deeper truth about who each of us really is and what God wants to do in us and through us.
So that seems to me to be really important. Truth is about something that we can trust. And when I say I have faith in God, I don't just mean there is a God there. I mean this is a God who may be trusted, like Abraham trusting God as he went off to Ur of the Chaldees. He didn't know why he was going there, but he did know who had asked him to go there and who would journey with him as he went there. And then, of course, the final bit, life, the way, the truth, and life. What does life mean? Well, you know, that word life can mean two different things. One of them is just, in effect, biological existence, getting by from one day to another. It's about, in effect, just letting things happen. It's about existing, but not being significant. And that, I think, is the way a lot of people live. And C.S. Lewis makes the point that the Greek language has two words for life. One of them is the word bios, in which we get biology. And that's simply about biological existence, just getting by from day to day. The other Greek word is zoe. And that means something rather different. It means life in all its fullness. It means a life that enables us to flourish, not just exist. A life that is worthwhile. A life that makes a difference to other people. A life of service. And really what Christianity is saying is, look, faith is not just about existing. It's about this richer, deeper vision of who we are, what we're meant to be doing. That in effect gives us direction and gives us hope. And that's what I discovered, that in effect, my understanding of life expanded, was enriched by this understanding of the Christian faith. So I think that's a very important point. What I'm trying to say to you is that Christianity is not simply a set of beliefs. I believe this and this and this. Rather, it's saying here is a new way of seeing things. Here's a new way of living. Step into this and make this your own, and you will find you will flourish within this new way of thinking. So it's all about seeing things in a new way. As we read the New Testament, we often find Christ healing people's sight so that they can see things, sometimes for the very first time. And you know, that's a very important theme for all of us. It means that we're able to see the world in a new way, as it really is. And that's very important. When I was younger, as a teenage atheist, I very often would look at the night sky. And I used to look at one constellation in particular, Orion, and those of you who, who, who are sky watchers will know there are three bright stars in that constellation called the Belt of Orion. Now, I'd often look at those, and I knew enough about astronomy to know that they were so far away that the light leaving those stars would take hundreds of years to get to Earth. And as I looked at those beautiful stars in the night sky, I find myself being overcome by melancholy because my thought was the light that's leaving those stars now will take hundreds of years to get to Earth, by which time I'll be dead. And the stars were a symbol of transience, meaninglessness, 
pointlessness. If you like, it was, it was about why this world means nothing. That was why I thought as an atheist. And so I'd look at the night sky. I could appreciate its beauty, but it was a very solemn, very cold beauty. In effect, saying, this universe doesn't care about you. You're just here by accident. And one day you'll be gone, but we'll be here much longer than you. So I saw the night sky as a symbol of meaninglessness. And then I became a Christian. And I began to see things in a new way. I began to read Psalm 8, which many of you will know very, very well, which is all about the immensity of the heavens. And at the same time, a reassurance. The same God who made those made you and you matter. And you know, that is such an important insight. Yes, we live in a vast universe, but each of us here this morning matters enormously, profoundly to God. Yes, this is a vast universe, but we are not on our own. We're here in the presence and power of a living and loving God. And each of us matters profoundly to God. I find that a very reassuring thought. And you know, it's a thought I think that we begin to think of, especially both at Easter, but also at Christmas, as we now begin to lead into the Christmas season. C.S. Lewis preached a sermon once on Christmas. I'm going to tell you one of the central images that he uses, because I think you may find its imaginative depth really helpful. Lewis says, imagine a diver, a diver who's standing on the banks of a really deep, dark lake. And the diver goes into this lake, down and down and down, till he gets to the bottom, he finds something, he goes back to the surface, his lungs bursting, and then breaks surface, holding up this object that he went to all that trouble, all that risk to bring home. And Lewis's point is that that is what the incarnation is all about. At Christmas, we celebrate God entering into this world as one of us with all the dangers this entails. But he does that because each of us here this morning matters profoundly to God. We talk about the word becoming flesh, and that is true. But remember, that happened because each of us matters to God. And God wants, in effect, to allow each of us to know what he is like and to know we belong with him. There are some people who think that we have to kind of way, if you like, climb our way up to heaven. But really, Christianity is saying, no, no, God came to where we are in order to bring us home to where he is. So what I'm saying really is Christianity gives us this way of thinking which allows us to see ourselves in a new way. And the point I want to make as I begin to wrap up this sermon is that there's something rich and deep about the Christian faith, which I first began to appreciate, although only in a very vague and glimmering way back when I was a teenager. 
And it's something I've grown to appreciate and understand all the more. And you know, the Christian life, if you like, is about going deeper into our faith. Maybe with traveling companions like C.S. Lewis or other writers you find helpful. But the key point is realizing there is so much there to discover. So much there to, in fact, help us think through what the Christian faith is all about and the difference that it makes. And that seems to me to be something encouraging. And I want to encourage you to think about these things. Because, in effect, what I've discovered as I've got older is that my faith comes to mean more to me. Not simply because I understand it better, but because I understand how I fit into this world to try and do some things for God. And earlier I mentioned this idea of stepping into the Christian faith. And in many ways it's about finding our place there and figuring out what it is that God wants each of us to do. It's like to use that very famous um, novel of C.S. Lewis, Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe. Each of the children in Narnia begin to realize we actually belong here. And there's something we can do that's going to help Narnia move along and help Aslan do what needs to be done to make this place what it should be. And that's the pleasure and privilege that each of us have. Knowing that each of us is special, knowing that each of us has been entrusted with something, something that you and I can do that maybe nobody else can do and make a difference because each of us is special and each of us really matters. And for me, that's one of the core themes of my faith. I may find it difficult to understand why God likes me, but he does. He loves me and you as well. And that is so exciting because it means that we can do things for God in this world, which are so exciting. St. Paul talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. What he means by that is it is so rich we'll never finally finish unpacking it. There's so much to discover and that's why we grow in our faith as we begin to unpack this and discover its depths. Or to use the language of C.S. Lewis, we're going further up and further in to the land of Narnia. But really as I end, I simply want to make this point. I discovered something a long time ago, and it's really been my linchpin, the thing that keeps me going and growing ever since. I just want to wish all of you God's very richest blessing as you journey through life. Because we don't journey on our own. We look after each other. And each of us can help us grow in our faith Catch a vision of the wonder of the Christian faith, as we will do as we celebrate Christmas, but also to reassure each other. This is something that can be trusted. This is something that makes a difference. And we need to help those around us begin to discover this as well. In the name of that wonderful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.